Welcome to Crossfire Faith and Gaming. On today's podcast, we are going to discuss the latest news, uh, including what CEO John Gibson uh, said from Tripwire uh, about the latest laws in Texas. We're going to talk about some cute foxes and ghosts of Tsushima. We're going to make some predictions about the PlayStation 5's showcase, uh, what we think, yay or nay, if their predictions are uh, possible. And we'll get into all of that in just a moment after our show intro. So stick around. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Crossfire Faith and Gaming Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Russ Dornish, alongside my co-host, the Reverend David Petty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, So today we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to let Russ give you the first piece of our news. Thanks for joining us. And before we get into the news, just want to say, don't forget to check out our Facebook page, our Twitch channel, our Instagram, our Twitter feed. Uh, You can find all of those things and more by going to churchforgamers.com. And that'll link you to all of our places. So churchforgamers.com. And you can find links to all of our communities and all the stuff going on. So Russ, tell us what we've won today in terms of today's news. Do you want to get into the heavy stuff first or you want to start light? let's go heavy we'll work our way more into game stuff so we'll go real heavy off the bat Um, but for those of you that don't know if you don't have twitter if you maybe not hang out on twitter uh, there was a little bit of controversy that occurred and it came as a result of of course the uh, issues and controversy happening right now in texas and texas law with abortion Uh, but john gibson he is the ceo for tripwire games he came out with a tweet and i'll go ahead and read it verbatim quote here for you guys Proud of the U.S. Supreme Court for affirming the Texas law banning abortions for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often, yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. Well, uh, John Gibson has resigned from CEO at Tripwire after the backlash that that tweet came. Um, Some of the quick highlights before I get David's uh, ideas on this. Corey Barlog, the uh, lead creator and producer for God of War and Sony Santa Monica, said, Jesus, something, something, man, really? You're about this Texas bounty law that pushes us closer to some kind of Gilead dystopian religious state? Really? I mean, what the heck? How can you be proud of claiming dominion over women's personal freedoms? It goes on from there. There are people from um movie writers to uh sony santa monica to naughty dog uh people commenting everybody not mincing their words and going directly at him for this and that is what caused him to have to resign from tripwire uh david we had discussed this off air kind of you know our thoughts on what's going on right now our thoughts as crossfire our thoughts from the methodist church being a methodist uh, affinity group of the methodist church David, what what are your thoughts on what's going on and what John said and and was it warranted for him to be stepping down at Tripwire? Yeah, um, gosh, so much to say here. Um, I think part of it, right, is anytime that you decide to get political uh, in any position, right, you're taking a stance and you're also drawing a line in the sand. And so, you know, John Gibson uh, had a firm conviction, drew a line in the sand and said, hey, you're either with me or against me. And unfortunately for him, a lot of people said, uh, hey, we're not with you on this one, man. Uh, And so he then found himself, you know, essentially putting Tripwire in a position where, you know, then maybe because of his personal beliefs, um, he didn't make a distinction. This is my personal beliefs. He said it really as a game dev. So he was speaking for Tripwire 
and perhaps didn't represent how they felt, how they're, you know, certainly as a game publishing company, a lot of the games that they publish, you've got to deal with, you know, are those companies in favor of what you're saying or not? Uh, so he really put himself out and, and kind of hung himself out to dry there um, by taking a stance that was really firm. And, and we kind of talked off air about this. I think the other thing is, regardless of where you stand, whether you're, uh, you know, in favor of uh, having choice and freedom over the choice to make those decisions, or whether somebody is pro-life, uh, I think most people would agree that the the measures that the Texas law goes to the nth degree to, you know, it, it punishes people for even driving somebody unknowingly to an appointment. So, you know, unless they're going to start coming after bus drivers or train uh, engineers, you, you know, it is, it is draconian. Uh, it is way too aggressive. And, and really in a lot of ways, you know, we talk from a, a kind of a nerd standpoint in a lot of ways, like this is the first thing that you see towards like the handmaid's tale kind of world where you say, you know, we're going to have extreme religious law that is completely overbearing that takes away all autonomy to make decisions and has no, um, also has no nuance in it that I think has always been one of the things that I, as a Methodist pastor and before as a Methodist really appreciate about the Methodist stance on abortion is that it is not sucked into that question of like pro-life or pro-choice. That's really a, um, a false dichotomy, if you will, in the first place, right? Because, uh, if you're pro-life, you could be pro-life and pro-choice, but say, if I had the choice, I'm going to choose life, right? Rather than saying we're pro-life and anti-choice, that essentially would would be my whole hope is that if you ever put yourself in that position, you don't have a choice because the law says it for you. Um, so the Methodist church has this really great part in the social principles that says our belief in the sanctity of unborn human life makes us reluctant to approve abortion. However, we are equally bound to respect the sacredness of the life and the well-being of the mother and the unborn child, right? So then it goes into a lot of different things saying, you know, we essentially do not support the idea of uh, abortion as, as a means of like, you know, wholesale birth control, birth control yeah. but we also unconditionally reject um, the idea that people would, would simply uh, have laws to, uh, re- to take away that as an option. You know, so we talked a little bit about the instance of we knew somebody a while back who had a child at, at 20 weeks into a pregnancy, which for those of you who may not be as familiar with pregnancy is about halfway. Right. So they're halfway into the pregnancy. Doctor does a scan, finds out this child does not have a brain. Right. Literally no brain has developed within this child. It's not going to develop, you know, developmentally. This child is, is going to be not even brain dead, but but brainless upon birth um, will only be able to live for a day right? Maybe before complete loss of function, maybe, maybe an hour. I don't even know. I'm not a doctor. Um, so, you know, the things like the Texas law would say, you know, this mother has to carry that child for another 20 weeks, has no say with what to do. And if she even considers an abortion and goes to the doctor and somebody takes her there, that that person could be subject to a fine. That's ridiculous. You know? And so you want to tell me that this person has to make a um, has to carry this child the full term, has to give birth to it, right? Or, or a 14 year old who has a, a child out of a rape scenario, it, all sorts of scenarios that are, that are nuanced, that are gray areas that I think are the reason why we have choice. Right. And I think the other thing that we talked about is the importance of having, uh, for those parents who may feel the need to not have a child 
to have the option to say, if I give my child up for adoption, I'm going to know that they're well taken care of, right? So you go full term with the pregnancy, you go ahead and you give your child up. If there's a system in place that has lots of people that are taking care of kids, then people are more likely to choose that as an option rather than an abortion. Um, but unfortunately, in places like Texas, they are down in the 40s out of 50 states on their child care well-being, on, on their uh, all sorts of metrics that you would say, you know, is it a good place to raise unwanted children from unwanted pregnancies? Um, last but not least, statistically, we know 20 years after Roe v. Wade, crime dropped because the number of unwanted pregnancies and unwanted children dropped. Um so Texas, by doing this, has basically prescribed itself a future, if they don't do anything else, of 20 years from now having an increase in crime, an increase in poverty, because they're not going to take care of these kids who are going to be born out of unwanted pregnancies. So that's my hot take on it, I guess. But long story short, I think that uh, John Gibson probably went about it the wrong way by speaking out as the CEO of Tripwire Games without really understanding where all of his people fell and without really thinking through the consequences of, of his actions and his words. So that's, that's my two cents. Russ, what do, what do you think? I mean, I've talked to a lot of pro-life people um, when it comes to this. And even they have said, like, I feel like the Texas law is maybe too much. Um, and I think that's enough right there that we need to understand that. And I think had John Gibson said that, hey, I'm pro-life and I'm happy that abortion is illegal in Texas, but I think we're overstepping our bounds a little bit. I don't think there needs to be all this extra stuff, you know, and and tattling and 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 looking at the people who drop them off and, and just the different things. It, it just seems very, very like over the top. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way of I think they went a little bit too far when it came to uh, writing the law. So, I mean, whether you're on the pro-life or the pro-choice side, I think the real issue in his tweet is just the agreement with the Texas law. As he said, the Texas heartbeat law is what he loves. And the Texas heartbeat law includes all that extra stuff that a lot of people are like, no. And so I think that's why most people attacked him because I've seen other people in the space say that they're pro-life or whatnot. And sure, they get a little bit of that, but I don't think we see it as much as John did in his, where he's seeing very high level gaming people attacking him directly being like, what the heck, man? Like, no, that the law is way too much. There's one thing to just say you can't get an abortion. There's another thing to add in all this extra stuff that just seems very, um, you know, as we talked about a very draconian style of society. Um, so I, I, I think that's kind of his problem and why he's in the hot water he is. And I think people need to kind of understand that that's kind of where the other side is coming from when they're attacking him on this. It's, you know, it's more about the law itself than the actual pro-life pro-choice uh, debate. Um, so let's move into actual gaming stuff. Let's move back into more of the lighthearted stuff that we always cover here. Um, David Stardew Valley creator focused on unrevealed new game rather than any more updates on Stardew Valley. Are you a Stardew Valley player? You, your family? I, I have played Stardew Valley. My wife played Stardew Valley for many hours. Uh, my sister has probably put five to 600 hours into Stardew Valley. Uh, if not more, I, I don't know if she's willing to admit that, but um, yeah. So I think that's exciting, especially uh, remind me if I'm wrong on this, you probably know better than I do. Stardew Valley was a game that was completely developed by one person, right? I think so. Okay, I, yeah, I think I, it was I like one person, Eric Barone. Stardew Valley creator Eric Barone, yep, and he says right. that he's, and he's the only person who, who developed it. It took him like 10 years, 
worked on this game. So he was basically asked in a recent interview, uh, hey, are you going to come out with some Stardew Valley updates? What's going on? And he said, quote, I'm not saying that there's going to be another Stardew Valley update. Um, he says, I don't even know at this point. Right now I'm focused on my next game. So we'll see. Uh, apparently somebody else also asked about what type of game it was. He said it was going to be similar to Stardew Valley. He says, quote, what I will say is that it's another pixel art game, a top-down perspective similar to Stardew Valley. In some ways, it's kind of similar to Stardew Valley, but it's also not a farming game. It's something different. So I think hopefully uh, fans of that game will be uh, sad that they're not getting updates, but probably excited that uh, their creator is working on uh, not their creator, right? Uh, that would be their creator would be God, but <laughs> uh, God's but working on something new. Now, uh, the, yep. the Stardew Valley creator is working on a new game. So I think that's exciting for them. Let's talk um, about uh, Ghost of Tsushima. You've played through Ghost of Tsushima. You've platinumed Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, new update makes foxes even cuter. Were they cute to begin with? Yes, they were very cute. Not to mention there are more animals in the game than just foxes. Before it was foxes that you pet, there's now cats uh, in the game for petting, uh, as well as uh, they've added more animations for the foxes. So you get to pet their bellies, they get excited, they do a little dance now. You know, just the little things that I love that Sucker Punch does. Um, And we've got some more potential news on the Sucker Punch front coming later on. Uh, I will just tease that, but... Uh, Ghost of Tsushima, uh, if you have not played it, the director's cut is out now with a bunch of new great features. Highly recommend you go play it. It's one of the best reasons to own a PlayStation. Um, it is absolutely amazing, top to bottom, voice acting, um, the graphics and just how beautiful the game is. The story is amazing. The, the gameplay is awesome. Um, if it hadn't come out the same year as Last of Us Part Two, it probably would have won Game of the Year by far and away so we're one day we're gonna get david to play it we'll probably play it on stream again at some point i started um, it. i just have have him play through the just, whole I've thing i've only gotten like five minutes maybe maybe like an hour i probably put an hour into it because you're you're in for a ride that i'm sure especially as a pastor you are ready to do a sermon series on ghost of tsushima <laughs> maybe <laughs> a crossfire crossfire sermon yeah, crossfire series. series yeah people always so, ask me like what does worship look like in crossfire and uh, actually we talked about that a little bit on the mm-hmm. uh, podcast that's going to be the second half of this podcast um so today's podcast for our our regular section after the news where we get into a topic we're actually going to talk to ryan dunn uh in an interview that he conducted earlier with me uh, a little bit about Crossfire, what it is, what it does, and, and how gaming is involved in faith and all that kind of stuff. So uh, tease that, so stick around for that. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to get through Ghost of Tsushima, and now if I can pet belly rub foxes, uh, even better. And, Makes you know, one more game that has cats in it. I'm still excited for Stray, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> so what else? Uh, uh, what else is coming at us? Well, this one's a little sad for me. Um, I'm I in the last week, and for those of you that know, again, big movie person. We've talked about that. Paramount decided to delay all their movies from this fall into next year. That includes Top Gun Maverick. Um, that includes uh, a, a certain other movie that I won't say because technically the title is a curse word. Uh, and then I believe James was James Bond a part of that. Or are they still going to release that on time? Oh, I don't, remember. I don't, I don't remember. There was three that games up. that if you can look it up while I talk, uh, there was three Paramount movies that got delayed this week. Um, 
But on top of that, Microsoft has decided to go ahead and delay Top Gun Maverick expansion for Flight Simulator that was supposed to come out this fall with the movie. And they're going to go ahead and match it to the movie's release date. I have a feeling that, that the expansion is done, ready to go, because it was supposed to come out this week. But with the recent uh, date change, I'm sure they really want to tie it into that movie and get people hyped and all that stuff. So uh, they're going to go ahead and delay that. So no flying the uh, F-18s and all that in uh, with a Maverick call sign in Flight Simulator. But I'm excited to, to jump back into some Flight Simulator, fly around the world in a really fast jet uh, and just have some fun with that so if you've got an xbox or a pc that can run microsoft flight simulator uh, go have at it it's an amazing experience something that everybody has to at least try once uh, and the good news is it's on game pass so you can try it for free technically but not free because you pay for game pass but we'll 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 just say that uh david did you find the paramount so it players? looks like the latest i saw is that it's still scheduled to release october 8th so it okay. might not be part of what? the delay Paramount that delays. is the delayed. We'll well, no, to, the delays we'll are... Why don't you look it up now, and I'll talk about the next uh, <laughs> Go to the next news, thing. <laughs> which is, uh, it looks like the chip shortage, which is the shortage on uh, different processing chips and graphic chips, uh, according to IGN News, says the chip shortage affecting gaming will remain very tight until at least next September. So it looks like a new report from Bloomberg, a publication that writes Toshiba Corp, one of the major companies that creates power-regulating chips found in graphics cards and gaming consoles, said uh, apparently this report from Bloomberg said the chip shortage will likely continue through the end of 2022. So uh, it says that basically the uh, they consider new customer faces the most severe situation, uh, or it says we consider which customer faces the most severe situation, such as the risk of the whole production line halting or businesses getting obliterated without the supply of new chips. Game console makers are among the customers making the strongest demands. And the uh, person in charge basically told Bloomberg that uh, they are sincerely sorry for the frustrations gamers face as none of them will have 100% satisfaction. So says for now that the struggle to easily purchase a PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, or a new PC graphics card will continue. So uh, I'm really glad that I have a PS5 in hand. Um, I still am, you know, don't think I'll get a graphics card anytime in this decade, uh, it seems, you know. But uh, yeah, Russ, what are your thoughts on the graphics card? And did you find an update for Bond? Yes, it wasn't Bond. So it was uh, the new Mission Impossible movie got delayed. Okay, yeah. Um, so Mission Impossible got delayed. It was supposed to be in May, um, which is now where Top Gun Maverick is releasing. So Mission Impossible will now release in September of 2022. Um, so that was the other movie. I knew so it was one just of those Tom movies. Cruise movies. Yes. Being All the Tom Cruise. If Tom delayed. Cruise is in it. It's gonna it's gonna happen next year. So um, my comments on the shortage, and and I try and and say this to people, and they're like. Oh, this is all Sony's fault. This is all play, uh, Microsoft's fault. They didn't plan for this, blah, blah, blah. Here's my fight back to that every time. They've officially sold more PlayStation 5s than they did the same amount of PS4s. They have sold a record amount of consoles. Now, I get everybody wants to say, oh, well, they're in the hands of scalpers and blah, blah, blah. I don't think they are as much as they were when they first released. But the fact is, like, they still sold 10 million consoles. They made 10 million consoles available when PS4s, I think at this point, we're only at 6 million. So even during a shortage and a pandemic, they made a ton of consoles. And I think that they were prepared. 
Now, would they love to have even more out there to sell to you? Of course. This isn't a case of we Nintendo conspiracy theories where it's like we held back to make sure that everybody wanted it. This is a legit thing going on of why there are not more. Because trust me, if Sony could have sold 15 million PS5s, they would have done it in a heartbeat. As it stands, they still sold 10 million. It's still the fastest selling console of all time, which to me tells me that they made a really good effort to get consoles out to as many people. Now, here's where I will get upset with Sony, but more so on the selling side, which is stores were not prepared to sell these things. Stores did not have the good infrastructure to sell them to to customers, which allowed certain scammers and bots and all that to acquire the consoles. They should have, from the get-go, set up lines. They should have sent up email invitations. They should have sent, you know, different ways to try and verify that. Um, You know, had more CAPTCHA and securities on the carts to stop bots from being able to snatch them up. Um, There's a lot of things they could have done. So because of that... um, you know, that's, that's just kind of where we are. So again, I I would say I'm fine with where we're at right now. It sucks that we're not going to have, you know, better stock of it going forward. Um, I've heard some other crazy stories coming up. They're like, if you haven't done your Christmas shopping already this year, uh, you're in trouble because there's now a toy shortage. Mm. Toys are going out of stock. Um, you're assuming uh, the aisles are bare. I I thought we were just shopping for sweaters. (laughs) Is there a sweater kids, shortage now? Kids too? are gonna have if if you're a parent that does last second shopping, you are gonna be in for a very rude awakening. Do not wait. All right. Get out there and and do your thing. So that's that's normally that, us. That's We're funny. normally like the the December twenty third. You know, I've David, got, uh, Christmas Eve problem. shopping tomorrow or Christmas Eve services tomorrow. I've got a yeah. We'll <laughs> have to get on it early. So okay. so let's talk about um, um, that was a, a good prediction for upcoming Christmas, but. We're going to make some predictions for the upcoming um, major summer showcase being put out by PlayStation uh, that they finally announced their major summer showcase. Essentially all the stuff that if E3 had happened, if they were, I guess E3 happened, but anyway, if they did an E3 booth at a physical E3, this is the kind of stuff they would have shown during yes. that summer showcase. So this, this is, is happening at the, this coming Thursday, uh, we're recording this podcast on Monday, September 6th. So this is going to be Thursday, September 11th. Can I math? Is that right? No, not 11th. No, I can't not math. even close, man. Not even close. Man. Not September 11th, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, September 9th, whatever. Um, September 9th, we're going <laughs> to live stream the showcase. I'm hoping to get this podcast out before then. Uh, maybe not. We'll just laugh at, at our predictions, but Russ is going to give us a quick rundown, okay. a, a, you know, whatever the term is for doing things quick, uh, quick rapid fire. That's the word I was looking for. Quick what, crossfire. What's a rundown? Run, run down. I, I don't know. Rundown. You're gonna, you're just gonna say the things, and we're gonna say if we think that's gonna I, happen or not. That's an inside joke from the office. Come on, oh, David. That's I, literally. Well, I still Jim, haven't seen a lot of the office. Jim gonna, gets gets they gets told. Jim, I, I'm gonna need a rundown of your clients, and the whole episode he's just trying to figure out what's a rundown. Well, the um, office and you just is, proved it. It's on we my don't backlog. Know what a rundown is. <laughs> it's on my backlog. It's where you okay. run down so, a list. Run meaning you go over. Not you're not physically running. It's not physically okay. down. Anyway. Um, 
Go okay, over. I actually took this uh, from Push Square. They had their writers look at a realistic prediction and a dream prediction. Um, so we're going to give a thumbs up, thumbs down on whether we think this is happening. And at the very end, each of us is just going to make one prediction of what we want to see, like dream scenario. Dream okay. scenario. I want to see what you say uh, for that. So a uh, realistic prediction from their first writer, Naughty Dog's Last of Us multiplayer will finally be revealed. I think that is an absolute yes, because it has been a long time. We haven't seen it. They've been developing it. We know it's in live development. They have talked about it. We have not seen anything. David, thumbs up, thumbs down on factions. Uh, I'm going to say thumbs down on that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No faction show. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Uh, dream prediction. Uh, the writer wants more than what we know all about already. <laughs> so what they said with that is they just want to know uh, brand new things, something to surprise us. That I think is a given, not necessarily so, correct. So they, they want new Cop things out. or they want new things Cop based out. on they old? Want, no, they want new things. They want some okay. shocking surprise that we nobody even thought of or knew about. That's fine. Like the um, new Grand Theft Auto Five. Just kidding, because because Grand Theft Auto Five is still anyway. Yeah, so something shocking. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say thumbs up. Something shocking say, we, we weren't expecting. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, realistic prediction. Sony will announce new PlayStation Plus incentives. I absolutely think this is a thumbs up. The rumor is that with the purchase of Crunchyroll, there is an idea that there might be a PlayStation Plus Crunchyroll package. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll finally throw in PlayStation Now. And let's say 15 bucks a month, you get Crunchyroll and PlayStation Now along with PlayStation Plus. That's insane. And I don't think they do it. However, Game Pass is insane. And if you want to go after Game Pass, charge the same amount of Game Pass and give Crunchyroll as well, people will go nuts. People will buy that because Crunchyroll is a very, very um, important and popular thing in the anime community. Um, so I think that lumping that in and then on the cherry on top, PlayStation Now, that would be Chef's Kiss. Mm. David, thoughts on PlayStation Plus? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of in the middle in that one. I don't know a whole lot about Crunchyroll. <laughs> Um, it wouldn't surprise me, I think, if PlayStation announced some effort to to group PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. I think that would be a, a shot over the bow of Xbox, where Xbox clearly with Game Pass, and we've talked about it a number of times, Xbox with Game Pass is the best, and, and really like the only, as when I think about it, uh, the best game uh, Netflix Value. library, you know, for yeah. streaming as a service, not streaming, but gaming as a service. Uh, is an amazing value. So I would love to see something like that. I'd give that a thumbs up. Okay. Uh, the dream prediction is uh, Final Fantasy 16 gets a 2022 release date, uh, which is insane, just so you guys know. And I think that one's a thumb down. I, a, yeah, thumbs down. That's, I, I think we could way speed. too soon. <laughs> Stuff that was we supposed to come out in 2019 <laughs> is coming out in 2022. It's uh, I feel like a Final Fantasy 16 uh, announcement or show off could be there, but uh, no. Um, here's a realistic prediction: the final one, or the second to final one. Um, PS5 uh, GTA 5 will be shown off at the show. Yeah, I think <laughs> knowing so. Rockstar and Sony, I think there'll yeah. be a little clip. It'll I be funny so. if they open the show with that, like they did the last time, which I think is hilarious. Uh, dream prediction: Motorstorm, baby, we're coming back with Motorstorm, which. For those of you that don't know, PlayStation 3 launch game, a uh, really cool physics-based uh, racer. Uh, I could see that happening. I could see MotorStorm, but I, I don't think that is. No, I, I'm going to put a thumbs down. Yeah, probably, um, probably thumbs down for me, too. Here's here's the last two and the dream prediction I love on this one. Uh, realistic prediction, Gran Turismo 7 will show new gameplay and a window release date, uh, which I think is probably a yes uh, by now. We've shown seen it enough. 
Um, and then the dream prediction, Metal Gear Solid Remake developed by Blue Point Studios. This has been rumored that Blue Point is working on some other remake for Sony. We don't know what it is. I could see it being the r- much rumored Metal Gear Solid remake. It's a game that really does need a remake. Great story, great idea, would be great with uh, today's graphics. So I, that's going to be up there with my dream scenario. Um, but I, unfortunately, I'm going to say thumbs down. Yeah, I'm going to probably not, say realistically thumbs down. I'd love to see it, but I am not that optimistic when it comes to okay. uh, radical things happening. Dave, what is your dream scenario that if you saw this happen at the Sony PlayStation Showcase that you would be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and have a great reaction to? Um, I, you know, I think any uh, any new game that, that is a PS exclusive, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of, um, I think realistically, I think we're going to see some God of War, maybe. Um, okay. I think realistically, uh, or, or stretch prediction, I think if we saw any... Uh, like Last of Us Part Three announcement uh, would just be, you know, I'd, I'd go bonkers. Um, or if we had any other, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, Uncharted Five. Um, there you, know, you go, GTA uh, Six. Uncharted. That well, I, I feel like Uncharted oh, Five is a whole lot more realistic uh, prediction. Uncharted Five is a little bit more realistic than a I don't even know GTA Six or Last of Us Three. I, I don't even know yeah, what they I call it Uncharted I 5. We'll I could see another studio taking Uncharted and making Uncharted. Although there was rumors that, that Naughty Dog may be creating like a separate team, that their job only is to do Uncharted and Last of Us games going forward. And then there'll be another team that does their own like new IPs and stuff. Who knows? Again, all rumors. Um, my big uh, reveal would be, um, I would go crazy if we did get something with Konami. Um so either Metal Gear, the Metal Gear remake, or uh, Silent Hill finally coming back because all the rumors with that. Did that ever Who go knows? anywhere with that with that mm-hmm. app thing? Because I downloaded nothing it, in the it app. still still nothing. nothing. And app. you you know I thought so, like like if is the is the whole thing right? You, like if the app is called abandoned, right? Is this yeah. just the being yeah. abandoned by yes. a game company that's like <laughs> we're just gonna abandon you point, with this? Whole everybody's over it oh, and man. they have lost all steam that company and the game is going to be a complete failure i'm calling it now we'll come back to this podcast you know in 10 years when it finally releases or something and we'll be like oh look it actually was decent and russ was wrong but for now i'm going to say russ is right and it was terrible so that's going to do it for our news and information section we again we hope you guys join us if this goes up before thursday if not you guys can come listen to this and see if all of these predictions were correct and whether or not we got anything right whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, now let's just uh, move on to the wonderful interview with uh, with David next. Yeah, so a couple of quick notes before we jump into the interview, and I'll hit the intro, you'll hit, hear the music again, and then we'll jump right into the interview. Um, but this was a really neat interview that I did with uh, Ryan Dunn of Rethink Church, through the compass podcast. So it's a, it's an element of the United Methodist church through United Methodist communications. And we sat down and really talked about, um, how gaming can help you feel spiritual. Um, what are the positive aspects of gaming? Um, how may gaming be different than the stigma that's put on it? Um, so we talked a little bit about that. We also just talked about some of, uh, kind of our favorite games and our history with games. Uh, so I talk a lot about my history all the way back from the first DOS based game that I played on PC, uh, to now. And some of that story there, 
but I would really encourage you to check it out. Um, definitely share this with anybody that you think might enjoy uh, kind of the story, the narrative story of how Crossfire came to be. Uh, and if you want to check out Rethink Church and their podcast, I would highly encourage you to check that out. It's a great church podcast. Um, they especially look at how church is being different in today's day and age. And Ryan Dunn, who I uh, got interviewed by, is a digital ministry I forget his his exact title, but he's like the digital ministry guru for Rethink Church. His whole job is just to be online and be in digital ministry and to figure out how the church is going into spaces that it's never been before. So, um, yeah, make sure you check it out and check out our website at churchforgamers.com. And we will see you on Twitch on Thursday and we'll see you on Facebook in the middle of the week. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for another podcast. God bless you guys. Have a great night or day or whatever, whatever time you're listening to this. All right. Good night guys. David Petty, thank you so much for joining us. I want to make the connection here between spirituality and video games. And I want to do that through maybe hearing your story of when or how did you make a connection between gaming and spirituality? What led you to pull those two seemingly disparate things together? For me, it was a lot of looking at community and how community functions in churches and the fact that a lot of churches function kind of primarily as a community and secondarily as a spiritual space. So I guess I was starting by thinking about how communities and gaming and then communities and faith and really realizing that those things are so far different. And in the Venn diagram of people that go to church and the Venn diagram of people that are in gaming, there's not a lot of overlap, the people that are gaming and go to church. And so I thought, what if there was kind of an outreach you know, to use a term evangelistic way to reach people that are playing video games with church messaging to try to bring church more into the digital space. So originally it started when I made a connection between a, a college fraternity that I was a part of and they had this online video game group, I guess you could call it in a Facebook group. And there were like a thousand members in the Facebook group. And so if you wanted to hop into a video game with somebody else that was in the fraternity somewhere else in the country, you could hop into a video game because somewhere somebody was online and, and there were usually a couple dozen people available who were just saying, Hey, I'm hanging out playing video games. If you want to connect and you jump into a discord chat together, that's a voice chat app. And so it was like this instant connecting point to create community through like-minded individuals over gaming. So gaming was kind of the affinity that people shared and then they could connect there. So you know, I thought, what if instead of the fraternity that I was a part of is a music fraternity, find Mu alpha national music fraternity. What if instead of the music fraternity, it was church. And what if the affinity that we shared was a love of our faith and deepening our faith. And we created a community of gamers around that idea. Hmm. I'm curious just as to your perception, like why do you think in your Venn diagram that you've drawn out for our minds, why there's so little interlap between people of gaming and people of faith? 
some of it's demographics. You know, you look at generationally, uh, the people in a lot of our pews and a lot of our churches, certainly in the Methodist church, tends to be a much older congregation. So, you know, if you look at the group of people, let's say 50 and up, and then the group mm. of those that are 50 and up that are avid gamers, you probably don't have a lot of those. And so then when you look at the group of people that are avid gamers, uh, I forget the statistic. I think the average gamer is like 37 years old and it really ranges everywhere from like, you know, 10 years old to 60. There are some on the fringes that are younger and older, but the average gamer being 37 years old. Well, that's, you know, young adulthood is a primary group that is missing from a lot of our churches. People go away after they graduate high school, then they go to college. They kind of disconnect from the church. And then we see people coming back to the church when they have kids, when they really are looking for something deeper. And they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm having this family, I'm doing something, I'm getting more involved in my community, but there's just something missing. Maybe I'll come back to church. So we're seeing this big group of people that just kind of disconnect from conversations around their faith. And those people are, instead of coming to church, maybe playing video games. Not all of them, but some of them for sure. So what got you started in video games? Not not the overlap, but just video games in general. Well, I was a kid in the in the 80s and 90s. And so for me, some of it was just being in the culture where video games grew up. You know, my best friend growing up had a Nintendo entertainment system and we'd get together and, yeah. and play Mario. And then a little bit later, I had another friend that had a Sega Genesis and we'd play on the Sega Genesis. And then eventually, you know, it was Tony Hawk yeah. Pro Skater on the PlayStation. And all the while I was also playing games on my PC, you know, starting off from the earliest that I can remember, I played a DOS based version of Pac-Man called Pac-Gal. Mm. It was probably one of the first games I can remember. Um, and then through, did it, did it load on cassette tape or floppy disk? <laughs> No, it was, uh, it actually was built into the OS. Okay. It was on a, a 386, IBM 386. Um, it's built into the DOS operating system there. Asteroids, yeah. like on the computer, was like the first, like it was on there, first game, and then it was backyard baseball with the floppy disk. Nice. Yeah. 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 So I, I just kind of grew up with it, and it, it was always a part of my background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point in college, I kind of gave it up, mm-hmm. and later in life said, you know, I feel like I'm missing play Hmm. in my life. I'm missing fun. I'm just working and I'm working hard and that's great. You know, I'm putting food on the table, but, but I'm missing that element of play somewhere in my life. And so I kind of rediscovered video games. I think it started off with the reboot of the Tomb Raider series. I had played Tomb Raider growing up, Tomb Raider one and two. And so they rebooted the series and I said, well, let me try that out. And then I got back into Starcraft two and, some other games that really kind of brought me back into video games. So for perspective, if you don't mind sharing, how old were you when you kind of re-entered the video game realm? I was probably in my late twenties. Yeah. Okay. So there's a whole, there's a whole like decade there that if, when I talk to people, they're like, Oh, do you remember this game? And I'm like, that's when I was you know on hiatus from video games. I took this break in the middle there. Were you a parent when you re-entered? You are now. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that was part of it. I was, working three jobs. I had a full-time job. I had two part-time jobs. I was doing wedding photography. So I was just working myself, you know, working myself like crazy and uh, didn't really have a lot of fun in my life other than, you know, going on dates with my wife and playing with the kids. But there was no, there was no solo me time and remembering how much fun that was as a kid 
to go on those adventures, to explore those worlds. I'll, I'll tell you more about that later, but that's part of what I think brought me back was to say, I need to go on some solo adventures and interact with some narrative stories here. You know, I see a little bit of overlap in the gaming and church world because both can be kind of intimidating to enter into. Like when you start talking about online gaming, I've always been shy to do online gaming because my fear is that everybody else is so much better than me. Like I'm going to log in and I'm going to get torched by a 12-year-old kind of deal. So was there some of that trepidation for you when you were getting back into the gaming world? And how did were you introduced to kind of the, the community aspect of gaming? Yeah. So for me, I think the there has always been a little bit of trepidation, uh, still mm. is, in multiplayer games. I have to talk with my kids now about it. You know, my son started playing Fortnite, and he was really frustrated that he was losing every single match. And we had to say, look, you know, you're playing this game that there are people out there you're playing against, and they've been playing it for five years. You know, so these people have been putting in hundreds, if not thousands of hours getting good at this game it's going to take you a while. And so now, you know, we look back and we're like, Hey, you know, now you just won Fortnite twice in a row. Do you remember back when you were not so good and you know, pick up a new game and he's frustrated that it's, it's not so easy and we have to have that conversation all over again. So for me, it's always been a matter of just reminding myself of that uh, and saying, you know, you're going to get torched by a 12 year old, but hopefully you don't lose yourself in it, depending on maybe where you are on the Enneagram or your personality type to say, you know what, at least I can have fun. Even if I lose the other thing is I play a lot of single player narrative games. So, you know, Tomb Raider is a good example. It's not multiplayer. It's a single player narrative game. I can put it on easy mode or I can put it on hard mode. And it's really just me versus me. It's like, uh, like running a marathon, most marathon runners don't consider that they're competing against other people. You're just competing against your personal best. So I personally like a lot of single player narrative games because they allow for that difference of ability level much more openly and readily available for people and for people of all ability levels, right? We talk in the church a lot about creating open and inclusive spaces for people of all abilities and walks of life. You know, some games are not so available for people of different ability levels, but a lot of single player narrative games have become more and more available. And that's, that's a whole nother conversation for another time. But, uh, yeah, you got, so you started crossfire faith and gaming with another friend community. So tell us kind of what started that we've already, I think alluded to it some, and then what does that look like in and of itself? Sure. So crossfire faith and gaming, um, I actually started it by myself. Mm. Um, I've had another friend who's now kind of my, my co-host and, gotcha, and gotcha. right-hand man. He's, you know, he probably does more than I do in the thing. Certainly when it comes to streaming, he's more active than I am. But I started by myself back in 2017 when I asked this question, could there be an online faith-based community for gamers? And when it started, it was actually a group of like 10 to 12 people. Mm. And we were just having the question and having the conversation of, could this thing exist? And then it became a conversation among 20 people that we were saying, could this thing exist? And then we said, well, why don't we meet up on Monday nights and, and talk this a little bit deeper? And then it became, you know, an online conversation, a Facebook group of 40 or 50 people. And then I realized in having the conversation, we had created the group. So we were having conversations Monday nights on discord. We were having conversations in the Facebook group. We were live streaming ourselves playing video games in the midst of all that. And in meeting Russ Dornish, who's my co-host for our podcast, we then decided to start a podcast 
and he then does a lot of video streaming of himself playing on Twitch as well. And it just kind of slowly evolved and snowballed. And we tried really hard not to have too much of an idea. I'll use the Facebook analogy. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie, the social network or heard kind of the story behind Facebook early on when they were talking about, you know, we should monetize and we should do ads. And you know, the story is that Mark Zuckerberg was like, we don't even know what this thing is yet. I don't want to sell out and make it this, this thing that it's not because we're still figuring out what it is. So we've tried to keep an open mind for letting the group flow and change based on who's in it, based on what they're interested in, you know, whether it's a small group that wants to do a devotional, then we'll do a devotional. Or if it's a group of people that says we want to play games together, like sea of thieves or rocket league uh, or Fortnite or something like that. So yeah. And then in answer to your question of what is it and how does it look, we've been very intentional not to create a virtual representation of a physical church. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of online churches that say, we're going to have church online. So we're going to build a game where we're going to build a building where all of our avatars walk into the same building and we sit and we listen to one person's avatar talk to us. And that's to me, that's forgetting that the medium is part of the message, right? So thinking about the core principle of what is church, right? That church is a place where we gather we worship, we fellowship, we have community, we exist in kind of the four Wesleyan quadrants of worship, devotion, mercy, and justice. And so how do we do things in those four quadrants? And then saying, okay, knowing that we're trying to do community, fellowship, worship, devotion, mercy, and justice online, how do we do that online? Mm. Uh, and that doesn't look like a building, that doesn't look like stained glass, that doesn't look like organ music, but we're still doing church. So we have a Facebook group. We have conversations in there all the time about faith or just, Hey, what's going on in the video game sphere of, you know, did you see this latest Spider-Man trailer, which you all should not watch because there's tons of spoilers in it. Uh -huh. um, just be careful, be very gentle with your hearts. Oh. Um, but uh, you know, so we do that on, on Facebook. We meet Monday nights on discord. We have voice chat there. We have done, Lenten and Advent devotionals that Russ and I put out as podcast recordings and videos. We've done a devotional. I've actually got a book here that I'd recommend. We've done a devotional based on this book called Thy Geekdom Come. Hmm. So like we did a devotional out of here based on the Mandalorian and the idea of the way and how it relates to the Beatitudes. So super cool stuff. And then, like I said, we have a podcast, we have a Twitch stream, and then some of it is doing what Ryan was talking about in one of his other podcasts is just showing up in digital spaces, mm -hmm. right? Showing up in spaces and saying, Hey, you may be having a conversation saying is playing games a sin. And we have an answer to that. And we have some commentary on that. So showing up in those digital spaces and being our authentic selves. And that's, that's how we're doing church is crossfire faith and gaming. Is that a real conversation that people are like video gaming is, is sin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I definitely heard that in the 90s. Yeah. 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 There's some groups we're part of where those conversations are happening. Um, okay. Every group's a little bit different based on their theology and their church affiliations and, you know, kind of their ecclesiology and political affiliation or lack thereof. So, yeah, there's there's a group of people out there that does definitely think playing games is a sin. Part of it is if you're doing anything that represents violence in a video game that that represents violence in real life. Okay. And so there's a lot of conversation there. The other conversations that are had a lot is people think if you're doing something that's secular, 
right? That if it's not directly church related, and, and this is kind of the same category of people that say, I don't listen to any music unless it's church music. Mm. There are people that say we don't play any games unless they're church games. So then there's groups of people out there trying to say, well, how do I create a church game where you pretend to be Jesus or things like that? And there's some cool games out there. I, I would definitely name drop uh, my friend George Herrera's project. He's doing a thing called Discover God. That's a VR experience where you get to walk through as the person who's being healed by Jesus. Okay. So it's a virtual reality get healed by Jesus experience. Mm. Um, so I saw his early project. He's working on it, expanding it, but pretty cool stuff. But yeah, so there's people having those conversations and we have comments to say back to it. Yeah. Well, what are some of your comments? Like, If I could put you on the spot, Reverend Petty, be a video game apologetic for us. What's the spiritual value of, of some of the games you're playing? So to have the conversation, like we always have the conversation about screen time, right? Screen time and parenting and kids. And for a long time, people would just say screen time is only okay up to a certain amount. And the conversation becomes about the amount of screen time, but rarely are people having a question or a conversation about the quality of the screen time, right? The answer is not in how much, but what are you doing with it? It's very different if you're saying, hey, kid, go in the other room and play your video games because I don't want to hear from you. That's a very different parenting message than saying, you know, hey, we're going to have family Wii bowling night where we're all going to play Wii bowling together. Mm. You could probably do family Wii bowling for eight hours and not have the detriment of screen time that people talk about because you're having family time. Yeah. So the same thing I think is true when it comes to is video gaming a sin is how is it being used? You know, it, it, do you have extreme violent thoughts towards other human beings and you play out those fantasies in an online video game? If so, there's probably something deeper that needs to be addressed than the game itself, right? That's, I would use the, the Jesus words here to say Mark seven, nothing from outside of a person that by going in can defile, but it's what comes out of the person, right? So no video game that by you playing it is going to make you sin, but it's depending on what your heart is thinking and doing while you're playing that game. Mm. You know, if I'm playing a video game, let's say that's a violent video game. Am I taking out other characters because that's part of the mission the same way that if I am playing monopoly and I make your character go bankrupt, that's very different than wishing ill on another human being that they would go bankrupt in real life. I don't equate the two. I don't think the people that play monopoly are going to grow up to be, um, you know, sadistic bankers. But if you are, then that's a conversation you need to have with a therapist or something yeah. like that. Uh, and I guess the other place to talk about is video game, not just a sin, but is video gaming problematic is around conversations with addiction, right? There's a lot of people that use video games to fill a void in their life. And then they overuse video games to fill that void. And then they get themselves into a loop of behavior where they can't get out. And so we've had that conversation in the group. I have that conversation with my kids all the time. Like, look, if you're playing video games and not able to get your homework done, you can't have conversations with your friends, you know, you're being mean to your parents, then we need to start having a deeper conversation about what that's really doing with your brain. But during the last year, during the pandemic, I think you mentioned it, Ryan, your experience was the same as my experience about telling my kid, you know, hey, get off Fortnite, it's time to come to dinner. 
And he's like, well, I've got three friends on here that I'm playing with. Mm. And I realized this is the only social interaction that you've had mm. because we're not getting together in person. We're not going to the park. We're not going to the pool. So, yeah, I guess you can you can finish the match. And I think yeah. from a parenting standpoint, it's important that we as parents are interested in the things our kids are interested in. So for me as a parent, knowing that if my kid says he's playing Fortnite, I can ask how many people are left in the match. And it's very different if there's 80 people or 10 people. What does that say about how much time is left in the match? We're now communicating with a language that he's speaking. Hmm. 10 people, usually the game's going to be over in like three minutes. So we're good. 100 people, well, you just started the match. You need to get off now because it's. <laughs> I'm not going to let you play another 30-minute match. So be interested in the kid, the things your kids are interested in. Uh, and that'll help video gaming not become problematic and not be a sin. Yeah, you know, That's good information. It's, Sorry, Piers, I, something here tweaked me a, a little bit. I, I'm wondering then, in your community, as you've combined the the worlds of gaming and the, and the sphere of faith, have you found some like redemptive value of video games? Yeah. I mean, there's the social aspect, certainly um, finding friends and, and building community. I love graphics in video games. I have always been a graphics nerd. So it could be the worst video game ever and it has the worst plot and the worst acting, but man, if the graphics are amazing, it, it just blows me away. I distinctly remember when half-life one was out and I was playing half-life one as a kid and half-life two came out where they introduced the concept of physics in a game. So if there's wood and something's made of wood, it acts like wood. You can hit it with a hammer mm. and it breaks apart. If something looks like water, it acts like water. It has reflective properties. It, you know, the, the fire that's behind a waterfall is going to refract and reflect through that. And I watched this tech demo that came out of E3, the Electronics Entertainment Expo, about Half-Life 2, and I was just mesmerized. And so for the rest of my life, I've always loved graphics in games. And so the thing that that does for me is to say, I approach games looking for a sense of awe and wonder. And it reminds me of the awe and wonder that I experience in the real world. So it's a much easier way to go into a video game and let's say uh, Red Dead Redemption, for example, which has its redeeming qualities. That's a whole different conversation. But the environments in that game are just stunning. I, just what Rockstar was able to do with that game blows me away. I could go into Red Dead Redemption and see a deer running through a stream being chased by a wolf with a mountain in the background and have a sense of awe and wonder at the real creation that's outside. And it doesn't take me five hours to drive into the mountains or two days um, for some of us. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and it's not to say that it's a replacement, but it's a reminder the same way that I would say that, you know, a prayer written in a book is not a replacement for, you having a prayer where you're actually mm. having a relationship with God, but it's a good in between, right? We recite mm. the Lord's prayer. Some of us from rote memorization every single time. And every now and then we have to stop and say, okay, well, what do these words really mean? You know, what is behind the representation? So that's a place that I found a redeeming quality of video games. The other thing is the stories that we tell. Right. We look at scripture and scripture is primarily stories. 
it is the stories of when Moses led the people out of Egypt. It's the story of when brothers were fighting and one of them got the blessing. It's the story of two women who are trying to figure out how to survive in a difficult area. Games have stories too. Some of them based on scriptural stories and some of them that just point to a deeper truth to who we are as people. Right. Mm. So there are ways that those stories, just like a good movie, just like a good book, have this kind of redemptive quality to them because you're interacting with this story and it's happening to you. It's not just something that you're passively reading. And there are games that I would recommend that I would say, you can't just watch a video of this game. You have to play it. Mm. You have to play it because you're going to be changed by interacting with this story narratively, interactively in a way that's totally different than if I just tell you, Oh yeah. You know, let's say Lord of the Rings. It's about, uh, you know, a hobbit who takes a ring to Mordor to try to destroy it. Cause it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't summarize that. So reading it or watching it is going to be far more powerful than a summary. Mm. Right. So 18 months ago, the world got rocked with COVID and a lot of people who were not online became online, especially in the church world. And, uh, you know, I remember the I remember Palm Sunday of 2020 and watching our Facebook and YouTube services that were live at the time crash. And we had the best Internet and we had the best things in our location. But the amount of traffic from the amount of churches that were on those platforms, they just couldn't hold it. They weren't built to hold that amount, you know. And so you've been in the online space, as we've already talked about, for a long time. And the community of uh, community of faith as a whole is entering into this space anew. And so there's been a lot of conversation, and our listeners would know this on our side of the podcast, but for your listeners thinking through, uh, I was headed to plant a physical campus, COVID hit, and I became our online pastor. And so, you know, very different spaces. So there's been a lot of conversation in the church world around comparing the two. All right, you get this in online, you get this in in person. And and usually because tradition has been in person and the online space has been new, it's always been heavy-sided to the in-person, right? That's, that's the filter in which people have thought through. So I'd love you to love you to talk through, hey, what are things that you can get online that you can't get in person? Or, and or, you can answer both these, what are things that you can get both online and in person, but you've actually seen it actually play out better online? Sure. I mean, I think the, the ability to be in two places at once is something that online offers us. There are times when, you know, I'm on a call with my friends and I've also got to run an errand and go pick something up. You know, in the real world, if I'm going to meet with my friends and I'm going to go pick something up, I got to say, Hey, do you guys want to come with me in the car? Cause I've got to go pick up my dry cleaning shoot. I do need to pick up my dry cleaning today. <laughs> Would you mind coming with me and doing this thing? So then they've got to kind of tag along. Well, online, you can say, I'm just going to put you in my ear. I'm going to go pick up my dry cleaning. We're going to still have this conversation. So you can be in two places at once. The other thing I think is a a diversity of perspectives, Mm -hmm. right? We're in person so often we're limited to whoever is in our immediate vicinity. So for a while, I was a pastor in rural Colorado, tiny little town called Meeker. And, you know, the people in that area were very similar to one another. 
There were many people that were related to one another or related three generations back. They had the same life experience. You know, they had the same family of deer that walked through my yard, walks through your yard, <laughs> the same restaurants we all eat at because there's only four in town, that kind of stuff. And and for the most part, you know, when it came to like how that, that interacted with uh, the perspective you got, 90% of people from that town voted the same way as everybody else. Mm. So, I mean, it, there was no diversity of thought to where you could say, well, you know, maybe I disagree with you or maybe I have a different opinion than that. Online, it's really easy. We were on a, on a Discord call the other night. We had someone from California, someone from Ohio, someone from Kentucky, someone from Colorado, someone from Montana, and somebody in Florida. And we're able to talk to one another and, and say, you know, how are things over there? And, and tell me what you're experiencing in this. And, you know, and the other thing is our theologies are regionally different. Mm. Um, even within the Methodist church, you're going to find a very different theology going into a Methodist church in Portland than you are in Pennsylvania versus going into a Methodist church in California versus going into one in San Antonio, totally different. So those, that diversity of perspective then gives us conversations that I don't think would normally happen in an in-person setting. Hmm. That's good. It's really good. You know, speaking of this overlap, when you were talking about the four areas of, I guess, Wesleyan community, uh, you talked about worship being one of them. I was wondering, like, what does worship look like in your community? That's a great question. Um, Mostly because we're still asking it. Yeah. Some of us are distantly connected with churches. You know, some of us are like one guy's a tech director at his church. I'm the pastor at a church. Um, there's other people that are kind of disparately connected. So we're all worshiping, I think, in our own ways. We're not really yet worshiping as a community. Mm -hmm. um, so that's tough because communal worship, I guess the closest we've gotten was there were a couple of times where we said, um, I've shared online versions of church with the group. So I'll say, you know, Hey everybody this week at St. Paul's, we had a really good thing and, you know, check it out. But that's not the same as communal worship, but it's at least the version of online worship everybody else is getting in the world today. Um, so I guess if we were to create something, part of which is just human resource time issues, you know, we're, we're not millionaires. We don't get paid to do this. And for the most part, most of us are just volunteers in this labor of love we could create a worship service specifically aimed at this demographic where, you know, we could have litanies that are based on a kind of common pop culture or media or gaming references. The same way we talked about like the devotion that we did out of the Mandalorian. I could preach a sermon that has a lot more gaming references mm -hmm. than real life references. Very much the same way that when I was serving in Meeker, because that was a predominantly ranching and farming community where they all went to the rodeo on Thursday nights or Friday nights, my conversations with them were a lot different mm -hmm. than they would be if I were in an urban setting. I used a lot more ranching metaphors and ranching illustrations in my sermons than I would otherwise. So I think that would be a place where worship could change, but I'm, I'm actually just really curious if anybody out there has great ideas for an online only community and what worship looks like and what worship looks like in a way that's not uh, top down hierarchical one person at the front leads everybody else. But what does communal worship look like where we come together in a space to say, we're going to worship together mm -hmm. in this virtual or digital mm -hmm. space. So we're still working that knot, but we haven't answered it yet. 
Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great point and something I've been thinking about a lot. I'm doing a study right now around food and the church and the body. And the the pastor that's leading the the study, I'm doing it digitally, you know, kind of thing. It's like an online course, whatever. But I've been taking this thing for a few months now, but this is like the first week I've been shifting my mindset in how I think about what he's teaching and online. So I know that's a lot, but here's my point. In the early church, the church came around and it didn't have a singular leader in the sense of a pastor stood up, but it was like, hey, we're going to eat together. We're going to be in community together. Now you sing a song. Is your song going to be a hymn or is it going to be one you made up? Is it, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to open the scriptures. We're going to dialogue. And it was a really interesting correlation that he talked about where he said, if you look at how like church architecture moved from the round to like, if you go look at like, uh, like the old churches in England or place like that, where it's like a cross and, and now it's a theater, right? It is, it is somebody upstairs talking down to everybody else listening. And so in that world in and of itself, I think that's where a lot of us have maybe gotten it wrong in online church is thinking online church is supposed to be like in-person church where the family puts the computer or they, they screen to the TV and they just receive everything. When actually because of the medium of online, and digital, it actually works better like the original church, where it is way more conversational. It is way more led in that you do need to have leadership, and, and the early church had leadership. But I think online could pull us back to some of those early church days of what it actually looked like and what Jesus did it like versus, and I don't, I'm not against the in-person gathering. I'm going to stand up next week and preach to you know a bunch of people. So I've not made the correlation between those two until recently, and hearing you talk about it brought it all back. And I think we've got to look at the medium differently as we talk about online church and not try to replicate in-person worship online. I think the other comment I would have listening to you talk about that is that online, and probably for most of us, we should get back to this in person. I think the categories are far more fluid and messy. And they don't have such neat and even mm-hmm. lines where you say, okay, we've got a food bank and that is a, a ministry of, of mercy because that is helping people who need help now. And then we've got this thing where we go down to the courthouse and we advocate for something and that is justice because we're doing that. And, you know, it fits in the silo called justice. And then anything we do in the sanctuary, cause it's in the sanctuary and we're singing and, and praying and sermonating in the sanctuary, that's called worship because it's in the sanctuary. You know, but a lot of what you were talking about is like, you know, we can worship in a way that we're also doing fellowship and we can worship in a way that's also devotion. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, just because we're not singing a song and putting our hands in the air doesn't mean it's not worship. Right, right. And we can do that. It doesn't have to be Chris Tomlin on his little guitar to a screen and everybody follows him. But I'm thinking they're like, I have a two-year-old daughter. This is my first kid. I dance way more in the house than I ever have because I have a two-year-old little girl. And and her favorite thing is to put on videos on the TV of YouTube on whatever kind of music, and we dance to the TV music. And so I think that's bringing us into a really good space where the church is expanding and needing to grow. And I want to be a fly on the wall when you guys put some of this stuff into practice. It sounds so fascinating to me. But <laughs> Reverend David, you have ventured a little bit into the the service aspect or the justice aspect, so to speak, and serving people around us through your online community. Can you tell us what you've been up to there? 
Yeah. So we've decided, you know, in our Twitch stream, for those of uh, anybody listening that doesn't know what Twitch is, it's an online video platform where you can live stream a video of yourself playing video games or even just yourself talking, but you can live stream yourself playing video games to an audience that then can choose to subscribe to your content. They can chat. That's interactive. You know, you as the streamer, see what they're saying on there. They can also then cheer uh, with some like digital bits. So it's like buying a flag at at a football game and waving the flag in the air and saying, go team. Mm -hmm. You're supporting your team through buying that flag. And, and, you know, waving in the air and giving public support. So the, the Twitch stream predominantly gets used by people who are trying to make a platform for themselves, trying to become famous, trying to raise money so that they can keep doing it. There's a lot of professional gamers out there that stream on Twitch either because they're funny or because they're good or both. But we said, let's use this platform a little bit differently and let's have fun. Let's be on there. Let's be in conversation with people, but let's try to use it to raise money for charities. So we've used it to raise money. We started off last year in October and we raised money for able gamers. Um, so we raised like $300 for able gamers, maybe 400 ish for able gamers, which is an organization that tries to bring games to more people of different ability levels. Excellent. Excellent organization. I'd highly recommend you to look it up. So we also then had conversations about talking through, you know, what does it look like to bring inclusion to people of different ability levels, right? So Xbox a couple of years ago released the ability controller that essentially has a plug-in for every button on the controller so that you can have a different type of device to do the thing that the controller would normally do. Hmm. So instead of using your thumb to press the B letter, let's say you don't have a thumb, you could use a foot pedal. And you press that foot pedal and it presses the B on your controller. Or let's say you have a thing that, you know, you move your arm and that does the trigger because you don't have, you don't have fingers, right? If you're born without hands, how do you play video games? All the way to, you know, things that we're seeing in new games that came out, like The Last of Us Part 2, they actually have a version of the game or a Mm. thing in the game where you can put it on and you can play the game if you're blind, fully blind. It gives you audio cues. It makes it much easier to aim, changes the whole game, wow. but it says, you know, we're going to bring this narrative experience yeah. to somebody who has no sight at all. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we supported able gamers. We supported extra life. They give hundred percent of their donations to children's research hospitals locally in your area. So you just say we're supporting extra life. And then that goes to your local children's hospital. We raised, I want to say like 600 bucks, 700 bucks for extra life. When we did that. Uh, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. And then there have been a couple others that I can't think of right now, but we've basically tried to use that as a platform to say, we're going to do good in the world of video games and the world around us. We're just going to try to to do good stuff in that space. So we're still looking for possibilities of doing missions. Uh, we have a lot of ideas. You know, the future, I think, uh, holds some interesting things for us in terms of what missions uh, looks like, or even youth ministry. Yeah, It's always funny when I talk about the fact we have a gaming ministry, some people assume it's all youth. <laughs> and the reality is we actually have a few youth, but most of it's people over 18. So, mm. yeah, so that's what we're doing in, cool. in the mercy and justice quadrants. It's beautiful. So you've, you've given us a few different books to read and places to look at. I'd never heard of the organization you just talked about and just mind blowing just to even get my head wrapped around that. It's really cool. So what should people be checking out right now, just in the world of gaming and kind of community and, and and faith. And then in that, where can they find you guys as well to connect? 
Yeah. So I would say, you know, if you're interested in checking stuff out in gaming, there's, gosh, there's so much. Definitely check out the organizations that I listed. There's some other cool organizations. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but like there's an organization that brings games and gaming systems and controllers to kids in uh, long-term care facilities. Mm -hmm. So let's say you've got an eight-year-old kid that gets cancer and they've got to be in the hospital all the time. Rather than just watching the 10 channels that are available on the hospital TV, this group will bring in like a gaming console and your kid can play video games while they've got to be in the cancer ward. So super cool stuff in that realm. As far as video games, I would just, you know, constantly check out. There's a lot of conversations happening in gaming spaces, just like everywhere else in the world around inclusion, not just of abilities, but also gender inclusion, right? There's a lot happening in for Blizzard uh, game company right now uh, because of some of the, the harassment lawsuits they've had going on and how hard it is for women to break into the games industry. Mm. Last I checked, I think it was like 17% of game developers are women. Right, which means that 83% of game developers are men. And that's not the same as the percentages of people who want to be game developers. Mm -hmm. um, that's far more close to 50-50. So there's a huge gender gap in the gaming industry. So I would say, you know, stay up on what's happening there, how that's changing. I'm curious to see, you know, always between Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo, um, what they're doing in terms of bringing more accessibility mm. and bringing games to more people. Uh, Nintendo's great for family games. <laughs> as far as where you can find us, mm -hmm. we've got a really cool domain name. Um, so if you go to Church for Gamers, that's churchforgamers.com, uh, that'll take you to our website, and that's got links to our Twitch, our podcast, our Facebook group, our Facebook page. So you can find us on Facebook is kind of our primary group. Crossfire Faith and Gaming. Uh, it's a Crossfire Faith Plus Gaming. And then you can also find us on Twitch. I think we are mm. Crossfire Cast on Twitch. Um, but most places you can find us by just looking up Crossfire Faith Plus Gaming. Cool. You got an active Discord server and stuff too. So for folks who want to enter into that realm, like. Yeah. And the Discord server, you just go to discord.churchforgamers.com. And that'll take you into our Discord server where we meet every Monday night. And that's open to everybody, Ryan. I know you said you wanted to be a fly on the wall. You are welcome <laughs> to be a fly on the wall in any of our uh, online spaces. Cool. Well, Reverend Patty, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. I look forward to connecting with you online and um, maybe joining in a game or two. Maybe this is the invitation I've needed to <laughs> jump into the MMO space. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.